0: Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is Me Speak Babel, part four, the gate of God, with our topic being the band Poison and the song Give Me Something to Believe In. All right, let's get started. Why were people building the Tower of Babel? What was their goal? They were trying to, quote, make a name for themselves, but more subtly, they're building a gate to God, stairway to heaven. The root word of Babel means gate to God, gate of God. Think of Stargate or a science fiction portal if it helps you. The tower is a gateway to bring God near, to control God, to pull him down to earth, to have a point where heaven meets earth, where you can manipulate God. There's a metaphor here in the tower, obviously, but metaphor is how we remember and retell stories of great meaning. If we were robots, we could just use zeros and ones, But a tower or gate to heaven is meant to invoke the image of man overtaking God, which is the reverse of humility before God. Since God made us in his image and likeness with a body and soul that go together, God is obviously not a robot. And thank God for that. Uh, I, for one, am glad because staring at code all day at work does not stir me like hearing a well-told story stirs me. Um, Here's the central theme of Babel. If we can pull God down and lift up ourselves, then we can become God. We can then make God into a kind of pet that we can control. Now, this is quite a different idea of God from the great quote from Saint Athanasius about why Jesus came to earth in the incarnation through Mary. Um, The quote is, God became man so that man might become God. Okay, that's a great quote but wow, it can be easily misunderstood. And this makes it sound like through prayer we can become, uh, God himself. Um, and it hardly sounds different than some of the modern meditation practices that are being used or what was being done at the tower of Babel. Um, so a writer on Catholic.com, Carlo Broussard says of this quote, according to the original Greek of St. Athanasius, the phrase, God became man so that man might become God is better translated as that we might be deified. The idea here is sharing in the divine nature means we share what philosophers and theologians identify as God's communicable attributes, which is goodness, holiness, and love, as opposed to his incommunicable ones such as omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, and absolute simplicity. So when you hear that quote of God became man so that man might become God, um, there's, there's a, one thing that can really steer you away from that. And you think, oh, I can be God. And that's what they're doing at the Tower of Babel. That is not quite what St. Athanasius was saying. He could have made it easier for us and just said that we can become like God with the full understanding that we can never become God. That distinction is enormous to gaining understanding of what it means to work toward sanctification and holiness in the Christian life. You can never be God. That's off-limits and impossible. But you can partake in God's divine nature, particularly through prayer and receiving the Eucharist at Mass. But we never, ever become God, not with a million prayers or push-ups or a perfect college entry exam score. Uh, The addition of the word like in that quote has critical meaning because without it, we might as well be chasing after our divine selves and new age religions. We are creatures, not divine, made like God in his image and likeness, but but must never forget that we are not God. And that may have been the greatest discovery of my life because what a relief. I don't have to figure everything out on my own. God can do it for me. Um, What Babel is attempting is to justify our behavior by making God into an idol that performs vending machines operations. So this God has an led screen and on the screen it reads, um, insert $2, press B12 for a sandwich, C36 for drunkenness, F25 for group sex, G31 for an orgy. That's the vending machine God. Now at ziggurats in the ancient world, the priests sacrificed people or animals, But with our vending machine God, we can just use quarters and get whatever we want approved. Uh, The quarters being some prayers. Um, It's the same thing. People who assume prayer will direct God to take actions that we want are making the same assumptions of those at Babel. They're trying to bend God's will to their own rather than conforming themselves to God's will. And whenever you're trying to bend God's will to your own, that should set off uh, alarm bells. Now, prayer is powerful, but not if it's meant to bend God to you, or if it's perceived as controlling God. In fact, again, the atheist may be better off than this person who misunderstands prayer because prayer used in this way could just as well be a child sacrifice to bring the rain. What's the difference? Both are attempts at controlling God, and we can pray for requests, but we must pray for God's will to be done, not ours. That's the critical difference. You have to pray for God's will to be done, not ours. That doesn't mean you can't ask for things. There's petitionary prayers for those things. But if it's like a million dollars or a sports car or the best looking uh, woman at work or school or something to go out with you, that's not really what you can be praying for. You should be praying for faith, hope, and charity and God's will for you and the world to be done. So um, with that, let's move on. More vending machine things. Um the vending machine God of Babel is just as powerless and useless as the absentee God of the deists like Franklin, like Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. While it probably looked exciting watching sacrifices on those altars at Babel or on those ziggurats. It was really just the denial of the one God, the God most high. Um, this is why when Jesus came, he corrected the record and said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now that is an amazing statement. Um, and anyone who's read Leviticus and the book of Numbers um, can say, what about all of those sacrifices that happened there? There was all kinds of uh, sacrifices happening uh, with all those goats, you know. And so I would like to go there now um, to <laughs> Leviticus and Numbers and talk about those sacrifices. But I'm going to continue with Babel or I'll never finish. And But if the topic of sacrifice interests you at all, I highly suggest listening to the Lord of Spirits podcast, um, really all of it from the beginning to end because it's fascinating, um, especially about what was sacrifice doing in the ancient world versus what we think of sacrifice today. Um, The builders of Babel and deists like Franklin and atheists like Richard Dawkins are all essentially doing the same thing in the end. Um, They are are moving God off the stage, really. Um, They're just doing it in more complete notions of it. That's the one true God is getting moved off the stage. They are all speaking the common language as well. But Richard Dawkins is the only one who really puts all his chips in the middle and lays his cards down on the table. Um, Atheists don't buy the bluff about Baal, the storm God, and they know that the deists are just hedging bets on a bad hand. Um, The only card player left for them, for the atheists, is those who believe in the one God. those are the only two left at the table. It's the either or. Um, The cool thing about atheists is that they are closer to coming back to belief in the one God than they ever realize or would ever care to admit because they've seen through all the smoke and mirrors of the meaningless and dead gods uh, of Babel or of the deists. Those are pointless to even think about. The reality is this. The builders at Babel are trying to appease a God that is a convenient projection of their own power and desires, while the deists of early America are are tipping their wigs at a dead or fully absent version of God. Uh, The ziggurats in America are courts and the Statue of Liberty. So next time you see the Statue of Liberty in New York, you can ponder our worship of liberty and consider the Tower of Babel. Uh, Dawkins just says what everyone else in power was thinking all along, which is this. God doesn't matter. That's what Dawkins is saying. Um, it doesn't matter because he doesn't exist. That's what the, all of the big construction projects are kind of saying as well. There's just a big song and dance that goes with it. Dawkins is saying that the emperor has no clothes. And in this case, the emperor is God most high. Um, so Dawkins is also kind of like the emperor Napoleon uh, when he said, an officer suggested to him that God willing, they would take Brussels in the morning and Napoleon allegedly said back to him, God, God has nothing to do with it. That's the same answer that Richard Dawkins gives, you know, like when something happens in this world that God has nothing to do with it. It's, um, it's human endeavor and power and, uh, taking things by force. So to Dawkins, the only towers or cathedrals that ever existed were in the mind of those built by mitosis, that would be us human beings. There is no God or gods living or otherwise outside of our brains. That's his, that's his claim. So of course, Dawkins grand bet on the selfish gene goes too far. Um, he's all in with all the answers, but he's left out of the equation an important variable. He fails to solve for why as in, why are we here? That is the problem with this worldview because in a world without meaning, you have to still live in that world. And so does everyone else. And everyone else is not necessarily an educated PhD who can spend a lifetime inspecting all the corners of science and history. Everyone else lacks the funds and leisure time to find meaning. Uh, everyone else for the most part in the end has to rely on what someone says is true. Um, I take it on faith that germs cause disease now and not fairies, even though I have never actually saw either of them infect someone. Um, Dawkins and company can win arguments about how the world works, but what they cannot win um, in arguments is about why a sunset is beautiful. That's where they're stuck. Um, they're, when you're in the, uh, the purely mathematical universe, you get stuck on why is this painting beautiful? Why does that song make me cry? when there's no satisfactory ultimate why people spend a lifetime searching for that variable, um, in the end, what the world without a living God results in is someone else taking control by force and dictating the value of why to us, as in, why are you here? It's because what they say it is simply because they said so that's the problem. So even though I'm not a Richard Dawkins fan, um, at least he isn't hedging his bets. He's all in. And I think uh, I actually think deniers like him are closer to finding God than the builders of Babel or the deists like Franklin ever were because they were had they had the door half open to God. um, And it's just letting the heat out of the house in the winter. You know, at some point you you have to make up your mind to go outside or stay inside. Um, And this makes me realize, really, that we should pray for Richard Dawkins. He may end up. This is the odd part as God uses us for his own purposes, part of his plan, Um, Dawkins may end up bringing more people back to faith in God than we ever could have realized in the end. Um, He himself is almost at the top of the circle, since when we run away from God, we often find ourselves running right into the arms of God. That's the funny thing about that. Um, So at Babel, the builders may think there is a God at the end of their staircase, but they think God can be extracted somehow or pulled into the universe at, up in the top of the staircase. Um, what they've actually done is rejected God. Uh, they've invented something new that is not God, not the one true God. And I'll be coming back to this because there's something happening at these temples. It's just not what the builders think it is. Um, it's not what the priests think it is. There's something happening there for sure, but I'm, I'm not getting to that point yet. Um, to talk about that a little later in this series. The God of Israel is outside of time and space. He cannot be accessed via a portal or a gate or a tower. The living Creator God is beyond our understanding, as I said in the previous episode. He is transcendent and imminent, that is, um, far and near, or near and far. Uh, We can know He is living, that His will is being played out at all times, but we cannot control or change God. I don't know how, but even children can understand that God is alive, that he is real. Um, What is being done at the Tower of Babel is the creation of idols, which replace God, they reduce God, and they substitute God with man-made ideas and desires. An idol is the God of a cynic, not of the one who has the faith of a child. When the concept of God nosedives from a living God outside of time and space, It becomes nothing more than a local God that can be manipulated and you can use a gate or a tower or a hula hoop or whatever you like, I guess. Um, What inevitably follows is that there is no longer a concept of sin or rather certain sins are approved while others are outlawed. It just depends on who holds power. That's the key thing. Who's in charge gets to say what is good and what is bad um, because you're no longer looking at it at the objective truth of God. And this is happening before our eyes in America today. Um, an elaborate ritual in a ziggurat is really just a big ruse or a power play. Uh, but what is really happening is the attempt to control the concept of God because gaining the upper ground on that idea is required to justify whatever behavior those in power want to dictate as acceptable behavior. Um, in our case today, an already bad concept of God is being reduced further as like uh, websites like Reddit and public school administrators go to great lengths to ensure that even the word the word God is removed from our mouths. Um, you can even say you can't even say God today at work or at school without potentially losing your job. So, interestingly, and not coincidentally, um, talk of sin is becoming less common, even at church, even at Catholic churches, which is a clear sign that there is a widespread lack of understanding of the God of Christianity because you cannot understand your need for God unless you understand your own weakness and our weakness manifests out in sin. So, um, the affirmation of sin is the voice of the culture today and where sin is denied, ziggurats in the mind are constructed. Today we are witnessing the outcome of what happens when the idea of Richard Dawkins, like atheism, is taken to its logical conclusion. And I spent years um, uh, admiring Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, thinking they were on to something. But I will say the reason I think Dawkins is uh, foolish now is that he doesn't understand what the builders at Babel did and the deists like Franklin understood as well. Um, The emperors... And the founders of uh, American history knew that people needed religion. And to pull that rug out from society, they knew that would cause the city or this or the country to collapse. Um, there was this idea that enough education would cause all all need for religion to go away. But we're seeing that after we basically mandated you have to get a college degree in order to get a job, there's been never a time in history where there's been more educated people. And yet we have the highest cases of depression ever. Um, Meaning is in an utter crisis. And it is, it's a spiritual crisis because we've lost, uh, we've lost God. So um, Richard Dawkins has a middle school concept of God uh, that he never really, I think, outgrew. And, you know, he's also operating as an autonomous speaker of his truth now, uh, without a plan or a concept of how to organize a world. So, uh, Dawkins in, in his, uh, bubble doesn't have employees or mouths to feed or an economy to plan in the walled in academic world, where the idea of where you can say no souls exist, it, it fails to realize something rather large and important. Um, his theory of the selfish gene starts from the bottom. If you're familiar with his writing, the selfish gene We're just a bunch of genes clamoring for more resources. Um, and so if you start from the bottom with that idea, you can't really describe the whole thing, the whole human being. The answer is always because of genes. Um, that's really simple. It's almost like saying the devil made me do it, but it's saying my genes made me do it. Um, a toe does not describe the wholeness of a person any more than a gene does. And genes cannot explain the totality of human nature. Uh, Dawkins is so smart, but he can't understand what laborers and mothers with no education understand perfectly well. Um, you'd think an evolutionary biologist would be the most equipped to understand the parable of the grain of wheat by, that's said by Jesus, that though a grain of wheat dies, it just remains a grain of wheat. But somehow he misses it completely. So we need religion. People need religion, or they will find one. And it won't be what you expect in the clean and childless world of our universities. Ideas sound good that lack depth. Uh, Dawkins answer uh, from the atomic layer of the, of the selfish gene and, and all of this, it, it emerged from a quiet library to tell us that we are nothing but atoms. Uh, meanwhile, the bustle of the street doesn't hear a word he said because life is happening way beyond the atomic layer. So when Dawkins burst forth from his library, he was telling a very different message from what the apostles were telling when they emerged from the upper room at Pentecost after having received the breath of life and they had been touched by tongues of fire. Um, Dawkins and his disciples emerged in their lab coats to tell us that respiration is a selfish act to propagate our genes and that there is no meaning to any of it. The apostles carried a message of eternal life and Dawkins made us ponder suicide. So while I, I commend Dawkins for his honesty, for not uh, going halfway, um, he is actually more foolish than the leaders of Babylon, the ancient uh, ones who were doing sacrifices on the, in the ziggurat. At least the leaders of, at Babel were offering something to believe in. They were saying, look, here's a tower. It's a gate to God. See? Look, and Jefferson and Franklin offered something too. They said, look, here's a sacred document, the Constitution, where we make a nod to God, the Declaration of Independence. Look over here. Oh, and look over there. There's the Statue of Liberty. That's what they were offering. But Richard Dawkins' worldview only offers the abyss, and our brains revolt at that idea. We all know the big empty is there. We know it's there, but we don't really want to stand on the edge and look into the abyss because we can't, not for long. The temptation to believe that Dawkins is right draws us all as doubt is more natural to us than faith. Um, so even if we dabble in disbelief, most people move away from the edge in search of a higher power of some kind, even if it is the self, the search for God, when thwarted or stifled or silenced, it erupts like boils in strange places and in uncomfortable ways. We're already seeing strange religions being born in America now, almost more strange than that of the pagan gods of Babel or America's traditional worship of the rule of law, wealth and the slippery thing called Liberty. The Tower of Babel may be an expensive lie to justify power, but it is a better attempt at meaning than what Dawkins offers the masses. Uh, but again, Dawkins is the only honest one in this case, which is why his idea is probably the most dangerous. He's the anti Jesus. And I don't want to call him the Antichrist because um, that term is so loaded. And really, uh, Richard Dawkins lacks the charisma needed to be the Antichrist anyway. So uh, (laughs) Dawkins tells us that we are purely material beings without souls. He goes all the way on that part, completely slicing all spiritual, anything spiritual from the world entirely, um, except for brain chemistry, which is not spirituality at all. Um, most people, they hold back and speak the old common language that dances around this fact, finding idols and obsessions to occupy or fence off the big empty. Dawkins has spent his life shouting this message. And now we are seeing what fruit it bears. Um, and you say, you always say, uh, you will know them by their fruit. Well, now we are in fact being atomized into solitary beings, kind of like genes Uh, When we are just chemical machines, we act like the selfish gene writ large. Again, not only is this message the polar opposite of Jesus, but it brings the polar opposite result. Where people know Christ, they form communities, families, and they have fellowship. There is warmth amid the struggle and pain of life. Dawkins' inability to get past middle school and his understanding of God leaves him out on the playground all alone. Uh, As we watch millions of community organizations and church groups fading away in America, we are clearly becoming more atomized. As people sit at home watching TV alone instead of joining, say, the Lions Club or a bowling team. There's a famous book called Bowling Alone that was written quite some time ago showing how uh, membership in clubs in America was dying. Uh, But what is worrisome about this, what is far more worrisome, is that Hannah Arendt, uh, dissected the rise of 1930s totalitarianism and said that loneliness, AKA atomization is the first step toward totalitarianism because isolated people without purpose or faith are attracted to a powerful ideology that delivers some kind of meaning. So the more we become separated and just satellites of our own wandering through space, sitting with our devices, that's actually something that is a, that is one of the main precursors to a very, very bad time. So, um, like I said, in other episodes buckle up. Uh, I think we're getting, we're going to be going there, but in any case, if you grow, if you join faith communities, you will find fellowship and community that doesn't get served by internet clubs or groups that you might think are giving you that, um, because when the power goes out, that's the end of that. Um, So, yes, let's go back to Babel. Babel may be a fool's game, kind of a superstitious nonsense, but in our common language, we already play a fool's game, and we're actually happy to do it because the worldview of Richard Dawkins actually makes Kurt Cobain or Morrissey seem like lighthearted fellows. Uh, We don't want to mope about in our atomized solitude knowing that we are nothing more than chemicals, a bunch of matter just mixed together. Um, even if we suspect that we are just a clump of cells, we don't want to live like a meaningless mass of molecules. We want meaning. We want, uh, we, we're gonna go find meaning if we can't uh, be, if it isn't being taught to us. Uh, we wanna kick ass and take names. Oh yeah, we wanna make a name for ourselves. Uh, we wanna win the Super Bowl and go to Disney World and sleep with all the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. We want to fight, or at the very least, to watch a good fight. We want stories, winners, losers, heroes, and goats. We'll believe in that Tower of Babel or Statue of Liberty if it allows us some sport, some entertainment, uh, especially and a full belly and a chance to get a little action on the side. Uh, Dawkins was honest, but even crazy Nero in Rome understood humans better than Richard Dawkins did. does. The Tower of Babel could be summed up in the saying, if you tell them a lie, don't tell a little one, tell a big one. This saying has been called the big lie, and it's attributed to Lenin and Hitler and Goebbels and various other dictators, but this saying precedes those infamous names by thousands of years, probably tens of thousands of years. Uh, The big lie is old. So if you tell them a lie, don't tell a little one, tell a big one. It was just perfected in the 20th century, and now it's being refined. Um, To maintain power, great narratives must be upheld. Uh, Franklin, Jefferson, and Washington knew this. They understood it better than any ruler in the time of Babel did, but the ancient leaders also knew it, or they wouldn't have started building a tower in the first place. The pyramids in Egypt are probably the most famous form of a big lie. They were not a gate to God, but a tomb that said Pharaoh was God. Now, uh, another one, is Caesar, was known as a god, and he built great structures to convince people of that lie. Um, the Eiffel Tower is a tower built in an era when we deny God, um, and it was actually it was built to celebrate our obsession with technology and engineering and celebrate that. Um, it's an, In an odd reversal of Babel, the Eiffel Tower is almost like a tower to keep God away. You might say it was the next logical step after the Statue of Liberty, um, and then you have... Finally, today, the degradation into modern art structures that have absolutely no meaning whatsoever, like the bean in Chicago or the cherry on a spoon in Minnesota. Um, These are as meaningful as the world's largest ball of twine. The modern structures and buildings have no meaning because, well, you guessed it, there is none. The, The National Endowment of the Arts is on full Richard Dawkins mode now. You can easily see how things get uglier in art and architecture as we move away from the era of Christendom. And this can also be observed in modern churches, uh, which Bishop Robert Barron has appropriately titled beige Catholicism in his lament at the drabness of churches built in the latter part of the 20th century. Uh, Countries still build structures to symbolize their chosenness, their righteousness. They still try to convince citizens of blessings from above, even after they have stopped pretending that the power of the state is really just from the status quo. If you walk through the Washington, D.C. mall or the Roman Forum in Rome, you can still feel awe at what the builders of Babel were intending to achieve. They were offering what the band Poison was searching for when Bret Michaels cried out, Give me something to believe in. Unfortunately, you can get spoon-fed Poison, if you are looking for some thing to believe in, that is not the living creator God, because he created all of those things that you might be offered as a substitute. If you have a gate to God, then whoever owns the gate can conceivably talk to the God and tell us what God wants. Oddly enough, the God always wants what the owner of the gate wants. What luck for the owner of the gate. But in reality, A gate or tower or altar or a pyramid that grants some kind of access to God, like say Delphi in Greece is really a trick that those in power use to sell their claim to the crown. And all of these structures are a way to kill off the true God, the most high, the one true God and replace him with a human who pretends to have the ear of God. What happens is that there is no longer a living creator God. And as long as the economy is looking good, most people won't really care and bread and circuses do nicely for keeping the masses pacified. Still, it's nice to have some kind of feeling that the God has blessed the nation, even if you suspect it's all nonsense. That's the genius of the ancient kings, and that's how the concept of the divine right of kings went straight off the rails in Europe. The bogus claim to power as God-given was abused so horribly that the French Revolution was probably bound to happen. Now, there is truth that whoever holds power was given it by God, as Jesus tells Pilate. Uh, But then people take that and run with it, um, tempted by that power. Louis XIV even called himself the Sun King, while simultaneously claiming to be a practicing Catholic. Um, I will resist the urge to comment on Joe Biden here, who's the current president, but I will say this. Uh, Those who use Christianity in the same way that the pagans use their gods are pagans themselves. So in other words, paganism never really died. And as for all who would like to say it simply moved into the Catholic Church, I would suggest they actually read the catechism of the Catholic Church before repeating what others have said so they can judge for themselves. Um, That's actually what I think should be the directions for a lot of this, Um, the accusations being thrown um, of paganism in the Church. The great casualty of this trick about God and power is that there is no redemptive suffering and no forgiveness and really no reason to love one another unless they can give you something. Um, If there is no living God, then of course there is no ultimate truth. The obvious answer is to take power for yourselves and for your family. Uh, People who uh, lambast uh, the faithful for only behaving out of fear of hell suggest that believers would be robbing and looting if not for the fear of God. Um, They argue that you you can be good without God, but they are making that argument in the days of plenty when famine and economic meltdown have not yet hit. Um, The rise of atheism has coincided with the most bountiful era of food production and wealth in human history. Um, That's not a coincidence. Uh, Even in Plato's Republic, you can read this of when uh, wealth becomes the god uh, freedom is bursting everywhere and Plato assures us that uh, dictator is coming shortly after that in chapter eight of the Republic. Um, now I think that's been bare bore out or shown throughout history quite a few times, but I guess we'll find out again. Uh, when the economic winds change and the grocery store shelves are empty, we will see how good people are without God. After all, God helps those who help themselves. That's the Ben Franklin quote. Okay, now we'll return to the Bible, back to Genesis, and look at the world after the Tower of Babel story. There's a key difference in dealing with God in the post-Babel chapters when Abraham and Jacob show up. Okay, we'll wrap up there for today on this, on the the Me Speak Babel series. I'll be back again with another episode of Why Did Peter Sink soon. Thanks for listening.